You are listening to Boom! With your okay. host, it's Tricky Mick. Alex, All right. Uh, I yield to no one. Oh man, Steve. Steve. I'm Sid. Welcome to Trophy Horse, this is episode 434, and funny story about last week, uh, you might have heard that Tricky called it episode 432, he was wrong, little mistake by Tricky, sometimes he forgets where he is and what the day is, so uh, last week was actually episode 433, as I'm assuming that you all have realized by now, but uh, I forgot to, or I guess I ran out of time in post-edit to go back and finish that, so your ears did not deceive you, it was episode 433 last week, and we are on 434 as we continue our march towards 450. Man, Yield, we are hitting these 50 milestones way too often. I that's I was thinking that myself the other day. It's like, it's, feel, it, it, we did 400 like the other day. I feel like we do a landmark show, and then like three weeks later, it's like, well, we gotta plan something big for this next one. Yeah, I, I I don't know how we got this far that fast. Well, unfortunately, Tricky could not join us this week. He uh, he's got a little bit of a migraine, and uh, Tricky needs a little bit of rest. Papa Bear needs some rest to uh, to recover. But we do have some big topics to talk about before we get into our news. You know, as always, let's talk about our trophy counts. And you'll actually have some exciting things to talk about in what I've been playing which actually has nothing to do with what I've actually been playing, more like what I've been watching. Oh, okay. Um, awesome. So, thank you, Yield, for updating our trophy counts this week. Tricky is level 55 with a total trophy count of 13,079 with 240 platinums. God, I'm, I I don't think I've been paying attention to his trophy count on the show because I don't remember him getting 240 platinums anytime recently. Oh, uh, you know, it's all them visual novels. Yeah, I guess I just tune it out whenever I, I hear him announce his, his trophies. I am level 31, the total trophy count of 6,926, and 103 Platinums and 102 games. Yield, who has passed me in Platinums as he's racing with Homer to the end of the year in Platinums. Yield, what's your count, sir? I am a newly minted level 30 with a trophy count of 6,425, and I got a new Platinum. I'm at 105. Yield, do you know what your completion percentage is? Because... I mean, you have more Platinums than I do, but your level is, you're one fewer level, and uh, I've got about, probably about 500 trophies on you. All right, hold on here. L- you know what? Let me look. I was on PSN Profiles the other day. Because my- I'm, I'm in the 80s. I think I'm hovering around oh, between 84 and 85. Oh, well, you are far better than me. Uh, I think the last time I checked, I was in the 60s, which I'm, I'm okay. That's- I'm okay with that. I mean, that's still respectable. That's probably above Tricky's 30 or 40% that I'm, he's running on. I'm working on getting better, but I, I believe that's where I'm at. Well, I mean, like like we talked about last week during the big trophy discussion on you know topic of the week, you play games the way you want to play. If you don't want to go for 100% every week, don't. You know, or, you, or for every game, if you don't want to get 100%, don't. You don't have to. Just play the game. Beat it, see the credits roll, and, and that's that's your thing. Or if you want to go for 100%, get all the trophies, you know, as we would say on Xbox, S rank, you know, absolutely do that. But, you know, play the game you want to play. So just because I'm like, oh, I need to keep my completion percentage high up in the 80s, doesn't mean you have to. 
Yeah, I, I... Yeah, doggone it. I'm trying to type and talk at the same time. Um, I've gone back and tried to complete some games. I've got some games that, uh, that I need to go back and do, like the DLC. I was going to say, I thought your backlog had been pretty well trimmed up. Uh, for the most part it has. But there's still, uh, some games I need to play. That was, uh... Um, that was, uh, I'm drawing a blank. Air Conflicts, Pacific Carriers. That was my latest Platinum. That was one of my, my backlog games that I was going back and doing. Okay. Completion percentage. I'm at 63.25% according to PlayStationProfiles.com. Lovely. Now you mentioned some DLC you want to go back and do. We don't normally talk about DLC, when we talk about backlogs, most people, it doesn't come to mind. But what's some DLC you want to go back and finish? Uh, Sanctuary, the third. I'm I, pretty sure I got the Platinum in that, but I can't remember if I'm 100%. I've, I've got the Platinum in it, and then I moved on. But I'm like, I should go back and really try to get, uh, you know, finish out the... I think there were three DLC packs, because I got the Game of the Year edition. And I'm just like, I should really go back and do that. Um, earlier this year, oh, a month or two ago... I went back to Strange Brigade. I had already had the Platinum. Picked up the Season Pass, I think at Christmas. It was on sale for like $7.50. So I picked up the Season Pass, and then I went back and I played through all three uh, Story Mode DLCs. And the only trophy I'm missing for Strange Brigade is to play the game on the hardest difficulty and beat it. Same thing with Horizon. The only, the only couple trophies I'm missing is to play the game on the hardest difficulty. So there's just a couple of some games that I'd, I probably should go back because I can do it. It's just, when do I want to go back and do it? Yeah, I'm missing the, uh, the trophies that were added. Not all the trophies, but the difficulty trophies, like the, the um, campaign plus or the new game plus that was added into Horizon Zero Dawn. I guess I think it was on the hardest difficulty. I'm missing that one. Yeah, that's so what I'm missing. Platinum, but I'm missing I'm missing 100% on that one, even though I went and played the Frozen Wild. So, yeah, that, I'm I'm sure I could go. I always kind of scroll through my trophy list and see what I could mop up. I think as far as, like, cleaning up 100%, I've done as much as I can do. I've either don't want to play the games to get the other trophies, or it's kind of, like, out of my hands at this point. Like, they're like Ghostbusters, like the multiplayer trophies on the original PS3 Ghostbusters release. Um, obviously, they've re-released that game on the 4, but uh, as far as the PS3, like, the servers have been down for a while, so I yeah. could not go back and do that. You know, and then as I'm scrolling through mine, Days Gone is another one. After I already got the Platinum, then they then added other trophies to it that I could kind of seem like, you know, I, I could go back and play that and try to see if I could get some of the other stuff. Uh, Burnout Paradise Remastered is another one. I just got to get with some people to do like Cops and Robbers and stuff like that. So, I mean, there there are a few games that I could go back and do, but I it's, it's one of those that uh, I guess right now this year I've been focused on working on my backlog, and I haven't really got gotten to a point of, well, I don't know what I want to play. Let's work on 100% in this. 
right, we, before we uh, yield it, we were getting so wrapped up in uh, in what we need to mop up in our lives that we forgot Sid, our main man Sid from across the pond, is level 40 with a total trophy count of 9,718 and a platinum count of 171. Now, Yield, as far as, you know, we talked a little bit about what you would like to go back and finish up, but what's some of the stuff you've been playing recently? You've actually gone back to work, so your game time has kind of dried up. Yeah, uh, so this week I played I played some Sniper Elite, or not Sniper Elite, Zombie Army Trilogy. Same developer, different game. I played some Zombie Army Trilogy. I played some Wolfenstein The New Order. Uh, Air Conflict Specific Carriers. That was my latest Platinum. And then I've also started playing some World of Warship Legends again. Kind of diving back into it. Uh, they had a new update, which they added in Bureau. Which it looks like... I completed the first one. It looks like you can research ships... And then that unlocks uh, legendary ships for you to have in your inventory. And the first batch of legendary ships drops, I believe, tomorrow, which will, would have been Monday for those of you now listening to the show. So you got your eyes set on a particularly sexy set of steel? Well, from what I've heard, the first three ships coming out, I'll probably go after the USS Alaska. Very nice. That that cold-hearted bitch, USS Alaska. Yeah. I'm going to level some people. How often are you still playing that game? Like, do you, like, I know that you've been kind of racing Homer in the Platinums, but are you still playing that a good amount every week? Well, or are you I, just coming back for events? Uh, well, I took a break for a while because I, I got the Platinum, and I was just kind of, I was kind of getting tired, and I was getting tired before I got the Platinum. That last trophy I got was just one of those everything's got to line up right trophies. It wasn't one you can, oh, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this today. It's, some things have to line up just right. So, um, I was kind of getting bored. I was, I was kind of popping in, checking out daily events, or week daily events, so that way when they offer up doubloons, I would definitely play for the doubloons because that's real-world money. Well, basically, so it's at the point where it's kind of like Rocket League, where you come back for events, but you may not pop it out every week. Yeah, and and I happened to, I saw that they had an update, so I was like, well, I'll update the game. I'll, I'll, I think I was kind of bored. I was like, well, let, let's see what the new update is. And then I saw about the bureau and how that's going to work, and they're going to put the legendary ships in there. You don't have to buy them; you just have to research them. And it's like, oh, well, this might be kind of interesting. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Because to keep, if I understand it right, so you assign like a ship, you get like three points per se, three points per second. And it'll tell you how long it takes to, to beat this segment. Let's say it takes nine hours. You know, you've got 200,000 points you have to earn, and you get three points a second. It's going to take nine hours. That may not be the right math. I'm just throwing numbers out, for examples. So if you assign a ship to it, that's another two points a second that you get. And then you can do, uh, like this past week, it was win a standard match with a Tier 3 to a Tier 7 ship, and you got 100,000 points. And you can only do that once a day. And it would 
you know, needless to say, drastically shrink down how much time it would take. And then when you turn the game off, it'll still keep adding as long as you play once every 24 hours. And then it'll just keep going. So I'm like, that's kind of interesting. So we'll see how this initial works out with the Bureau and, and how you use the legendary ships or how you can use the legendary ships because before you had to play them with tier 7 which makes sense and I'm not that good at tier 7 so but just enough to kind of suck me back in to see what's going on but I'm still pushing forward I got to keep my lead over Homer Homer got a, a platinum last week I got one to keep my lead so it's a razor thin lead well, it it kind of widened out I think I'm up to 6 on them Oh, you're up to six. You're six over him now? I'm six over him now. I'm at 13 Platinums. I believe he's at seven. Wow, I was going to say, he shot up to a lead, and then he's kind of, he's sputtering out here. Well, you know, the quarantine's been kind to me. He had to work. I didn't. And then he got Final Fantasy seven. so I, I, I took advantage of it. Yeah, I know he's kind of a Final Fantasy seven nut, so I'm assuming he dove right in and didn't really care about it. He- the trophy race with you was probably the furthest thing from his mind at that point. Uh, he he was giving me crap the other week. I got like three Platinums in a weekend. And every time I get one, I text him. Hey, guess what? I popped another Platinum. He was like, that's it, I give up. And I'm like, it's only May. You can't give up yet. Cannot give up, Homer. Nope. Get, you gotta go. You, this is a sprint. It's not a sprint. It's a, uh, it's it's a marathon. marathon. Got until the end of the year. Yep. Well, Yield, I've got something that I would like to share with you, well, our listeners as well, but more so I think that you would appreciate this more than most. This has nothing to do really with what I've been playing because I've just been playing the Switch quite a bit, and like I said, until The Last of Us Part Two comes out. But Ashley has started to play Tales from the Borderlands. I wondered what was going on. I saw that on your name the other day, and I wondered who was playing that. Yeah, so she finished uh, and really enjoyed Wolf Among Us. So she likes the Telltale games. So uh, I said she likes Borderlands, so I said you should definitely play this game because I think that it's the best game that Telltale ever made. And I know that you agree with me on that. Yes, absolutely. The, the weird thing is, is that as much as I enjoyed that game, I find that, and I, I, platinumed, I platinumed it four years ago, so it was a while since I played it, but some games stick with me better than others, and it oddly, despite the fact that this game has very, like, very good characters, and, like, there are some really cool set pieces, and, and you know, definitely really awesome story beats, I find it hard to, like, things come back to me while I watch her play, but if you ask me some of, the, like, like, how everything unfolds in that game, I couldn't tell you. And it's, it's odd because, like, I enjoy watching it again because it, it's a refresher for me. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember this part, and I remember a decision that I would have made at that point. And, like, it, it's cool to see somebody else play the game, not only see what they choose and how things might play out differently, but also to give me kind of a review of the game and help me, like, refresh my mind about what happened. Because, like I said, even though I like that game a ton, I just I don't remember a ton from it. No, I'm the same way, but I do remember this, so let me ask you. So... I'll point out that she has just finished the second chapter, second episode, so she still okay. has three to go. Okay. Did she Did she have Loderbot kill himself, sacrifice himself? No. She had him fly away. She had him fly away. Okay, so let me know how this works out, because I think everybody who's played it that I know, we all had him sacrifice himself for the greater good. 
Well, Loderbot got away. I mean, like, at that point in the story, like, even if you tell Loderbot to fly away, you're no... And Reese um, is in no more... And I can't remember the other guy's name. Oh, his friend. I'm gonna have to look that up. Because um, I just watched her play it last night. Um, but no, Reese is in no immediate danger, so regardless of what you pick, your character is still safe. Um... But he basically, like, Loderbot at that point, like, he's getting attacked by the bandits, and he's in real trouble, and, like, he's getting, like, appendages lit, ripped off and stuff, mechanical appendages at that, but, you know, if you tell him to flee, he flies away, and he comes back later in the story to help you. Now, there is a point where, as far as I'm concerned, Loderbot does die, so you prolong his life. When you made the choice to, to uh, sacrifice himself, he doesn't come back again, does he? Or does he? No, he does, but man, he doesn't let you forget it. Okay, okay. Never mind, because I remember that scene where um, they are flying um, on Loderbot, and, um, hold on, let me look up the name of this character. Vaughn, okay, I just remember his name. Where Vaughn and Reese are flying on Loderbot, and they're flying to safety away from Vasquez. Yeah. Um, I, so, I remember. By when, the way, Vasquez is, I think he's voiced by H. John Benjamin, uh, a fantastic character, fantastic villain. Of course, you have the ghost of um, Handsome Jack in here, fucking around in Reese's head. So, like, this game has so many great characters, um, Fiona and Sasha as well, that it's a shock to me that I didn't remember more about it, but, um, but yes, um, so, um, so, yeah, Vaughn was the character I was thinking of. Um, but yeah, I thought that, like, if Loderbot came... See, that's the thing, though. Is it, are the choices really that different if Loderbot, if you choose to have him flee or destroy himself, if he comes back, does that does that mean your choice made no, no difference? Well, see, I, I don't know. That's why I always wanted to play it again and choose a few things differently because it kind of... It's one of those games that it, it made it seem like your choice would make a difference. I do remember when he came back, I was like, oh my god, he... He really didn't die. He's back. Awesome. And then he just really digs it into you every chance he gets that you told him to commit suicide for the greater good. And it's just yeah, like, so it, it's just like, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So it's mildly different than like, you don't, he doesn't obviously pick at you because if you told him to flee, then he's, he doesn't have a bone to pick with you. But I don't know if you remember this at the end of episode two, I'm pretty sure Vasquez kills Loderbot. And then he probably, I think he might be dead for the rest of the, like, the game. I, like I said, I don't remember, but that's kind of what happened, is Vasquez did away, dispatched Loderbot after he helped Vaughn and Reese. I can't remember that part. But, like, if if the decisions really don't matter all that much, it's kind of disappointing. But if, if there's more that happens with Loderbot, um, I'll let you know. Okay. But yeah, so she's been playing Tales from the Borderlands, and I've just been enjoying watching it. It's kind of like one of those cinematic games. Where you see like all these these cool scenes play out, and uh, yeah, I'm just I'm I haven't been playing anything. I've not been playing anything particularly exciting, but that was just something I want to share that I get to watch my girlfriend go through Tales from Borderlands and just kind of see how everything plays out again. Awesome, just so awesome. Yes, Loaderbot is awesome because Loaderbot kicks some serious ass in that game. Yes, he does. Well. If you grew up in the 90s, one of the things you remember is that Tony Hawk's Pro Skater definitely kicked some serious ass. Like, it was a cultural phenomenon, not just Tony Hawk himself and skateboarding in general, but the games. Like, people love the the games from Neversoft. As we talked about last week, those games are being remastered, or I guess remade, and brought back via Activision Publishing. So, 
one of the things that came has come to light since we last spoke about it, and this comes via GameSpot, is that Vicarious Visions boss Jen O'Neill has told GameSpot that there will be no microtransactions at the launch of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. So, uh, essentially what she has said is that if there's demand for more content, then they will create content and, I guess, sell it at a price. But as of right now, everything that you can get in the game can be unlocked via playthroughs. So you can unlock it via gameplay. They don't have any plans to charge you for any content unless there is more demand for it. Now, this is also the company, because Vicarious Visions is doing the remake, or the, yes, the, I, would, I would call it the remake. We had trouble deciding what to call it last week, but it's, I think they're building this from the ground up, so it, it would be a, re, a remake. So, this is being done by Vicarious Visions, which is owned by Activision. Now, if you remember last year, before Crash Team Racing, Nitro Field released, that Beanox said that there would be no microtransactions in the game, and then, lo and behold... Later on down the road in the pit stop, maybe I think in the third Grand Prix, third or the fourth, I can't remember, they introduce microtransactions in the game because <laughs> it is Activision as their parent company, and you can never really trust Activision, to be honest. So uh, the one difference that I would point out is that they planned and they announced the Grand Prix for Crash Team Racing, so they had planned post-launch content from the start, whereas with Tony Hawk, it seems like they are not doing that. So there might be that might be the big difference. But again, with Activision saying, hey... We are not putting any, any microtransactions in this. Activision as a company has shown precedent as overruling the people who are making the games, so who knows. But I think the big difference is, is that they're not planning to release post-launch content for Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. It's just purely a remake unless there is more demand for the content. Sounds fair. And so we want to give credit to uh, Eddie Makic at GameSpot who had the interview and wrote the article for that. Uh, Yo, do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, are you wary of Activision as a publisher? Yes. Um, holding them uh, uh, at, at um, I was going to say, holding them at arm's length with a 10-foot stick? Yeah, I mean, I, I like the games that they put out, but they also do some wonky stuff. Not quite as bad as EA, but... I don't know, I feel like they're on a seesaw with EA where they, they kind of, one of them decides at some point, independent of the other, that they want to be the villain, and they're the ones who kind of go on the downward slope. I I would agree with that assessment. But yeah, I mean, I think when, when it comes to Activision, take everything they say with a grain of salt, and, and when it comes to, like, microtransactions, they're a company who likes to push the dollar. They like to make it a lot of money. I mean, granted, they're a business, so yes, at some point, every business wants to make money. But there seems to be they seem to be a little bit um, sh- I don't want to say shady, but they seem to be a little bit more uh, gorilla about it than a lot of other places. And they're willing to kind of they seem to you know things can always change with Activision where they say, hey, no microtransactions. So it's like, well, later on down the road, it's like, well, can we make more money off of this? It seems like their word is a little bit more flippant than other people's. Yeah. I agree. And I know you will agree with me on this, that this is uh, going to be branded the tricky part of the show, because we're talking about The Last of Us Part Two Special Edition PS4 Pro. On a story on IGN from Joe Scrabbles, uh, the reveal for The Last of Us Part Two edition of the PlayStation 4 Pro, which... We all know that Tricky's going to go balls to the wall to get. 
Uh, it is launching alongside the um, the game on June nineteenth. Uh, this bundle will cost you three hundred ninety nine dollars, and it will come with a PS four Pro controller, a Seagate two terabyte hard drive, and a wireless headset. Uh, of course, along with the the console itself. Yil, did you look at the pictures of this? I did. Um, it looks nice. I just I understand why they're doing it. It's it's a big release, but it just seems almost silly with the five around the corner. Well, they know that they can make money off of this. Uh, go look at pictures of this because it is rather slick looking. But one of the things they've done special for this uh, this console, the special into console, is that it features an on the console engraved of Ellie's new tattoo. And Ellie's new tattoo is kind of the main theme of it. Um, it's kind of like um, the Firefly emblem that a lot of people kind of attach to in the first game. The uh, so Ellie's new tattoo is kind of the, at the forefront of this special edition. Um, it's got last. Uh, it's got the, the tattoo on the top. It's got the Last of Us Part Two, a uh, very small font on the front of the console. It's also got that on the touchpad. Uh, the Last of Us Part Two on the touchpad. There's Last of Us Part Two on the Seagate hard drive. So basically, everything is branded Last of Us Part Two. And, uh, yeah, like I said, the, um, the console's engraved with the, um, with the tattoo, and then the tattoo is also on the right side, uh, the grip of the DualShock 4, so, uh, not engraved on that, just kind of a, um, a decal on there, but, uh, I mean, but yeah, I mean, it looks good, um, it's not super flashy, it, it's very nice, but it's not really super flashy, uh, the font, it's just like a typical white font, so, um, yeah, it looks clean, it looks elegant, but it's also at the same time very simple. So uh, not very like boisterous, not very flamboyant, just kind of gets the job done. I, mean, I don't know. How do you feel about this shield? No, I know. It looks really nice. It, it's not it's not over the top. It, it looks nice. Uh, I like the, the, the logo on the external hard drive and the uh, even the headset that you can get separately looks nice. Yeah, it's red-black headset, isn't it? Yes, I believe so. And the and maybe you can help me with this. The, the actual tattoo, if you haven't seen it on Ellie's arm, it's a, like a, a sleeve tattoo. It's uh, it's it's two pieces of, of foliage, two branches, and in front of that is is that a moth or a butterfly yield? I would say a moth, as big as it is. What well, also has like a the, the design on it, the wings. I mean, it looks like something you would see on a moth as opposed to a butterfly. Yes. But yeah, so I mean. If you're willing to part with $400, you can get this bundle. Of course, it's probably going to be pretty damn hard to get this bundle. Um, you can also buy the controller separately for $69, or sorry, $64.99. The headset it will sell for $99.99, and the Seagate hard drive will retail for $89.99. So quite pricey if you buy everything outside the bundle. Yes. But if you're only looking for one thing, if you just want to buy it piecemeal, it may save you a, you know, a bit of money over the bundle. So Absolutely. you'll I assume you're not buying this? No. No, I'm I'm good. The only thing that might entice me would be the the hard drive, but I I might be waiting to see what the five puts out and saving my money for a five. For some reason, I don't know, like these special editions, like they look nice, like the Metal Gear Solid 4 one they put out looked really nice. That I believe that was a gun metal gray one. Um correct me if I'm wrong. Nah. Can't remember what that one. I know that's what uh, the Arkham Knight one was—a gunmetal gray. 
Because that's the one I got. Or it was a silverish color. Look that up real quick. And that was the only reason that was the only reason I got that one was because it was it was silver. It wasn't your traditional black console. Well, I mean, this one's very much as traditional because it is a black console, just with the the font, the white font, and then the etched um, logo on there. Yeah, I, I think maybe if, if if the logo had some color to it, it would pop better, but they'd probably charge more. It's etched in instead of just a a, a print on it, so that's 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 pretty cool. Oh yeah, I mean well, it's it's definitely a little bit more subtle, um, but like I said, this is definitely something that tricky. Um... Oh, he'll have a hard time not buying one. Okay, so looking at pictures, the the PS4, the limited edition Metal Gear Solid Five bundle had almost a maroon top to it, and then the Metal Gear Solid Four was actually for the PlayStation Three, and it looked to have a. Um, Snake on the top of it, like a visage of a, vi, a visage of snake on the top of it. Gotcha. Yeah, so I'm sure Tricky will try to get his grubby little paws on that. Uh, like I said, it's very subtle, but also very elegant looking. You know, if you're a Last of Us fan um, and you want all these things, it'll definitely save you money to buy the bundle. Just be be aware that, like most special editions, it's going to be pretty damn hard to find. I'm sure it's sold out already. And, you know, I expect Ghost of Tsushima to sell out or at least sell very well when it comes to retailers. Ghost of Tsushima, we talked a lot about it in the last week, uh, even named the episode after it, but we've got even more details about it. Coming from IGN Nordic and the author of the article, hopefully I do not butcher his name, Nick Nijland. Hopefully, hopefully I nailed that. But yeah, coming from IGN uh, Nordic, Nate Fox had um, what exactly Nate Fox's title is because I rank. Okay, Nate Fox, who's the game director of Ghost of Tsushima, had a, a sit-down chat, an interview with IGN Nordic, where he talked a little bit more about the combat systems in Ghost of Tsushima. Um, one of the things that he talked about was the difficulty of the the combat system. So. So obviously, uh, and it yields. I have to give you and Tricky credit. You all were correct in talking about I, um, the the whole ghost and samurai thing. Is those being kind of two entities, and at the one at the end of one spectrum, and then the other one at the end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, whereas you know, Jin is raised as a samurai. He's always got those samurai skills. But the story of Ghost of Tsushima is kind of him moving more towards the ghost side, which is one where you know he wasn't raised to fight like that. But he needs to fight like that in order to, to defeat the Mongols, because the Mongols have basically decimated the samurai in in this story. Yes, which they which they make clear in the article that um, you can play either style. It's not a morality choice. Yeah, that you can switch back and forth between the two. Although they did, Nate Fox did mention that playing as the samurai and trying to overcome the Mongols, who are proved themselves to be very strong will make it more difficult. So you need to kind of, if you want to, you know, fight as a samurai, Jin's always got those skills, but it will be harder for you to defeat the Mongols as a samurai, uh, kind of pushing you more towards the the ghost side, because, you know, they want you to experience Ghost of Tsushima 
as Jin's journey and his transformation, rather than giving you a choice. Yeah, so, I, which it kind of it kind of made sense from the, what they showed you. You know, they showed you the same map but played two different ways. You know, and they made comment in the article about you know you can't either way you can't run into a a camp hacking and slashing going hey everybody look here i am and fight your way out of it that you're you're gonna have to be smart with your tactics oh yeah this is not like back on the ps2 when you were fighting in god of war and even on the ps3 in god of war games They've kind of changed that up a lot with Sony first-party games, like you saw in, in God of War uh, of 2018. Like, they're trying to make combat more challenging. Uh, I'm going to take an excerpt from the article uh, quoting Nick Fox, um, where he says, We are trying to make a grounded game in that sense, so a couple blows from the enemy will kill you. The game is very challenging. We have three words to describe the combat. Mud, blood, and steel. We absolutely honor the lethality of the sword. We watch samurai movies and people go down with one or two strikes, and that is embedded inside the combat. Beating the Mongols in a battle will be hard, but it's a challenge that makes you feel alive and the victory rewarding. You can't just run into a camp and fight five people at the same time. You get overwhelmed and you die. Um, so basically, they're like looking to make combat less fantasy and more real-life grounded. Which, when you're dealing with the subject of samurai and honor and all that, uh, I think is the right way to go. It seems like, even though we kind of have to suspend our disbelief to play video games and enjoy them and kind of, you know look at what we're seeing on the screen and be like, oh yeah, that's fine. You know, I can, you know, take 50 stabs from a knife and still, you know, take out an entire bar of people. Um, this game seems to be focusing on more true-to-life aspects, using the wind to push push you in a certain direction. Uh, the sword, the lethality of a sword that Nate Fox mentioned. If you get stabbed with the sword, you get cut with the sword. You're may probably dead. To yeah, you. you're probably not coming back. I don't know if you've seen samurai swords, but they're real fucking business. And they slice people in half. Yeah, and, and Nate Fox also mentioned the um, how if you want even more challenge, there are going to be duels against one-on-one uh, -on -one duels against expert swordsmen in the game. So that is going to be another challenging aspect. And the way the final um, sentence that was used in the article uh, you need to study your opponent and understand how they attack in order to win kind of reminded me a whole lot of the mechanics in punch out where you have to study your opponent maybe you'll lose the first one two three four five times you fight them but you study their moves you learn their patterns you learn the way they fight and you attack them and eventually you'll be able to overcome them now they they probably these sword battles will probably be more intricate than you know a one-on-one -on -one duel in punch out but that, that kind of sense of you have to study your opponent and you have to then learn them and then seize on their weaknesses. Um, like I said, like the, the combat systems, the more I hear about the Ghost of Shima combat systems, the more I'm impressed by them. Yeah, it, it's going to be hard for me because I'm used to like, hack and slash, you know, run in there, kill a bunch of people, duck and cover, stuff like that. So it, it's going to be a challenge and outside of my normal gameplay, but I'm, I'm willing to, to go for it because if I can be killed in, in a slice or two, then from what I'm reading, the same thing can be done for my opponent. So Yeah, I mean, that'd be silly to have, like, Jin be felled in one or two blows and then your opponents are damage sponges because 
like if you want to ground the game, you have to make it kind of a balance where you don't want to make you want to make it challenging, but you don't want to make it impossible. And I think having the challenge comes in, you have to protect yourself because if you don't, one or two sword strikes is going to take you out. So I think that if you if that is true for you, it has to be true for your enemies because it'd be it'd be super hard if you died. Like it's like putting a Mega Man game on hard where you could take one shot and you're dead. If you uh, and I don't actually know if that's the case, but um, Mega Man games themselves are very hard. Uh, but I can only imagine how hard it would be if you actually could only take one hit. Um, but yeah, like you, you've got to balance it out. So if they're damage punches and you take one hit, like that, that's not that's not fair. That's that's not fun. That's not good game design. No, no. So I mean, it all sounds good. Let's hope it it rolls out that way. Because no one's gotten their hands on it yet. So, fingers crossed, because I'm really looking forward to this. And, and, you know, um, one of the things we talked about with this game was kind of a karma system. The decision to be either good or bad, I guess, or fall towards more of the samurai and more to- or more towards the ghost side of it. And, you know... As we talked about, there are you can you can use both playstyles. Like like Jin never forgets that he's a samurai, never forgets the sword skills that he learns. But it seems like uh, Sucker Punch is trying to make this more of a story that is is Jin's transformation that you're a part of, but you don't get a ton of say in. Like eventually, he's going to get pushed to the ghost side in order to overcome the mongols. Um, and you know the. This is coming from another article on IGN. Uh, this one from, from good old US IGN, uh, Jonathan Dornbrush, basically saying that Sucker Punch has kind of thrown the, um, the the whole karma system out the window because they feel like it muddies the waters. And they kind of just want you to see Jen's transformation as opposed to flip-flopping between um, good and evil. And, you know, Yield, you talked about, and you and Tricky seemed to kind of be on this train last week. How do you feel about that? Because I don't know if you really like the karma system or if you feel like you just want someone to, you want to experience someone's story as is without being able to kind of dip too much of your own personality into those waters. You know, I didn't mind the morality choices in Infamous. I mean, really all that it did was it, um, it just kind of made you play a little bit differently or as you played more of the evil karma, your attacks were stronger. I, I like this because it a lot of developers will come up with a system and they stick to it or some form of it in every game they do, even if they stray away from the game that they originated the system from. Sucker Punch has saying, we're not having a morality meter. We want you to experience the story. So I give them kudos for that. I like it when a developer goes outside their norm. and. And not that Sucker Punch didn't tell stories, but this is more of a very story-grounded game that seems to take a huge jump uh, in game design, almost like we've said with uh, Gorilla, where they went from a first-person to a gigantic open-world third-person with Horizon. You know, Sucker Punch has gone from kind of the comic book infamous, and we're going to a story-driven samurai game. 
I, so, I think the I think the kind of evolution for Gorilla is certainly it involves story and narrative as well, but it was more so an evolution of their gameplay and how well they can implement new gameplay. Whereas with Sucker Punch this time around, I think the evolution's more in storytelling because you know Sly Cooper told some good stories, um, and they they introduced some endearing characters, and you know there there's some some good story elements to Infamous, although more of it is about the gameplay and being able to play as a superhero. And having the and choosing the path that most um, represents you as a person, good or bad. This time around, it's purely and more carefully crafted story. So I think that the evolution for Sucker Punch this time around is not necessarily gameplay. Um, while there, well, it, it is a ma- gameplay, but I feel like it's more story and narrative. Yeah. Where that's that's where the bulk of their their uh, maturity in this game has come is the story. I agree. That, that That's the feeling that I get. And I want to read from Jonathan, Jonathan Dornbrush's article. I want to read a quote from creative director, creative director and art director Jason Connell. Uh, Jason says, uh, when, he, when he's a ghost, and let's talk about Jin, he can turn around and play as a samurai because he's always a samurai. All of his training, use the katana. That stuff is buried uh, in him deep. On the stealth, uh, state of play segment, if you wanted to jump off a roof and start fighting like a samurai, you totally could do that. We don't want to, we don't spec you out, and suddenly you can't play as a samurai. He's always at his, he's always at his core, his heart of hearts, a samurai. The ghost is this legendary warrior that he's evolving into. So, like we said, you can still play as a samurai, but narratively, Jin, in order to save his home from the Mongols, is becoming a a ghost. Yeah. So uh, that's just some new information on uh, Ghost of Shima that we wanted to, to share with you guys and to kind of follow up on the discussion we had because I know that we made some um, some reaches, we made some assumptions, some predictions last week as far as how things would unfold. Some of those may turn out to be right, uh, but you know the karma system. It you know it, it wasn't out of line to say, hey, maybe this game has a karma system too, uh, choosing how you fight, especially in a big open world. But um, we just wanted to follow up on that and say, hey, there's no more karma system and. It's more so of you following the evolution of a character yeah. and now, less of you having to say in that evolution. If I remember right, I do believe they did say that there may be a, a few segments in the game where there is sort of what you could equate to a morality choice. But for the most part, and I'm, I'm throwing out a number, it wasn't in the article, probably 90-95% of the game, and I'm just speculating, is it's it's following Jin's evolution from samurai to ghost. And to be honest, I, I like that. I mean, yeah, I like the way that Infamous was handled, but at the same time, it was it was far more about the gameplay. So even in the choices that you made, it was like, hey, um, a lot of the morality choices were like, it was kind of ingrained in you. It's like, well, I, I always pick good, so I'm going to pick the good path, and then I'll pick the bad path because I want to get the... the the platinum trophy, and it's easier to play through the bad path on hard because I can just fire shit everywhere and not care about it. Kill anything. them all, let God sort them out. Yeah. See, you've got. So I mean, and, but more than, I if this was more about the the powers and the gameplay and less about the story. So it makes sense for them to follow a narrative, a specific narrative with Jin, and yes. we we watch him evolve, but we don't evolve with him. And uh, you know. That is kind of going to be the swan song to the PS4, we assume, Ghost of Tsushima, because later out this year is going to be the PlayStation 5. 
And while we don't really know anything about the PlayStation 5 yet, I think there's been one exclusive game announced. I cannot remember what that game is. Um, I have to look that up. And but, was, was um, it Godfall? Yes, that's the one. Okay, thank you, Yield. That's Okay, I couldn't remember if Godfall was multi-platform or if it was exclusive. That was the only line I'm I think of off the top of my head. Pretty sure it's exclusive. Okay. But outside that tech demo, the the Unreal Engine that we saw, Unreal Engine 5 that we saw, or talked about last week, uh, we haven't seen much in the way of what the PlayStation 5 can do. We've only heard about what it can do. In an article by Joe Scribbles on IGN, it shared that Sony CEO Kenichiro Yoshida has said that uh, the announcement of the lineup for the PlayStation 5 will be coming very soon. All right, so originating in a Bloomberg.com financial article about Sony as a company, uh, a tweet from Takakashi Mochizuki saying that the CEO of Sony has said that we will soon be announcing a strong lineup of PS5 games. And of course, that article uh, was then written on IGN, um, expounding on that information. So basically, that's all we have at this point, is that they we can soon expect announcements about P- more announcements about PS5 games, specifically, I would assume, the launch lineup. And, um, I mean, we don't really know. Soon is a very subjective thing. Soon to yield may not be soon to me. It may, what is soon enough to Sony and the CEO may be far outside of the realm of soon to what I would say, basically not soon enough. So, yield, given that we don't know anything about the Sony launch lineup, we only know that Godfall is coming for the PlayStation 5, which is not a Sony first-party studio game. At least I don't think so. Um, what do you think that we can expect from the launch of the PS5? Now, I know we speculated on this before as far as, like, Horizon Zero Dawn 2 goes, and, um, we have had some, um, recent talks about Horizon Zero Dawn 2. Uh, like, what are your feelings going into the launch of the PlayStation 5? Do you think Sony has things well in place, and they're just kind of masterfully crafting this big presentation, this big reveal? Or do you think it's gonna be, like, every other launch, and we're gonna have one game to play, and then five months or six months later, then we'll actually start to get more games flooding. I think you'll have a few more now. I think they've learned after every launch that having just one game to play and telling everybody, don't worry, more are coming, kind of hurts. I, I think they'll have a, a few at launch. What I would really like to see is, and I'll, I'll go through this when I'm done, is IGN posted every confirmed PS5 game. They got 19 of them. All right, well, before... List off those after I go through this. Uh, Godfall is the game that you were right about. It's coming late this year, so it's, I, I would consider it a launch title for the the five. Um, since it's within a, a two month window of that or a month window of that, uh, it's being developed by Counterplay Games and published by Gearbox. Okay, so just to give the fans out there a kind of a a, a rundown. So these are the confirmed PS five games that you got. So we've got Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Battlefield 6, Chorus, which that one did look interesting, Destiny 2, Dirt 5, Godfall, Gods and Monsters, Madden 21, Microman, Observer, Outsiders, Rainbow Six Quarantine, Rainbow Six Siege, Scarlet Nexus, the Lord, in, the Lord of the Rings Golem, The Sims 5, Vampire, The Masquerade, Bloodlines 2, and Watch Dogs Legions. Now, some of those are to be announced. Some 
our holiday at launch. A lot of them were 2020 and 2021. I have a feeling your big titles, Godfall, Watchdog Legion, Madden, Destiny probably, stuff like that, it's probably what we will see on the reveal games. That's what I'm afraid of. What I would like to see, you want to, depending on how long of a reveal you're doing, throw in a little nod at those games, I'm okay with. I would like to see other games that you've got coming down the pipeline or maybe closer to develop or closer to release and you haven't told us about as your five game reveal then talk about games I already know that's coming because everybody has already talked about all these games we've seen screenshots maybe a little bit of gameplay from them I would like to see what you've got coming down the pipeline because as someone like yourself, Alex, and me, who aren't going to rush out and buy one day one, I want to see what you've got in the future, you know, mid-2021 or later. Can I, can I tell you the problem with that, though? What's that? Everything the issue is with that is that, I mean, it's a marketing thing, but you run the risk. If you if you have a big game coming out mid-2021, you run the risk of overshadowing your launch titles. Okay, I see your and, point. And you kind of like, well, this big game's coming out in the middle of this year, so there's really no reason to buy the PlayStation 5 right now. I, I just feel like Sony wants to focus on the launch lineup of games and the exclusives, and that's kind of where their focus is now. They'll get to those other games later, but I think they want to focus on a successful launch before anything else, especially since the Xbox Series X is releasing around the same time. Yeah. But one thing, in that list of games, was there a first-party Sony Studio game? Uh, Let's see here. Ubisoft, Paradox Interactive, EA, uh, Deadlick Entertainment. I may have not said that right. Bandai Namco. Ubisoft, Ubisoft, Square Enix, Bluebird Team, Glob Game Studio, EA, Ubisoft, Gearbox, Codemasters, Bungie, Deep Silver, EA, Ubisoft, and that's it. So can you remember a video game console that launched without a big first-party studio title on uh, that game? No. Because the PS3 had Resistance, the PS4 had Knack. I'm pretty sure Knack was the, the big launch title from Sony. Yeah. There, I, I cannot think of a launch of a console that did not have a big launch title. You, you know, as, because Nintendo always has one. As as it, much as we would like to see another Sly Cooper game, that's not going to happen because they're full in Ghost of Tsushima mode. Well, they did. Sensaro uh, Games were the, were the people who did this before Sly Cooper game. So that could always be turned over to them, but I, I doubt that's going to be one of the headline launch titles. Un unless we get uh, another, unless we get a Ratchet and Clank game announced, um, that is always a possibility. You know, Insomniac Games, owned by Sony, haven't it's haven't been a while since we've seen yeah. Ratchet and Clank. See, uh, Naughty Dog's busy with The Last of Us too, so you're not going to hear anything from them. Other than you can get The Last of Us two probably at launch, but. Uh, 
I'm trying to think of who else there is. Unless we see something from uh, the NAC team. NAC 2 came out a while ago, but I, I feel like as a franchise, NAC has not been as successful as they wanted. Well, and the story kind of wrapped... I, I believe this, they wrapped everything up nice and neat in NAC 2. So... I mean, we, we always look to uh, Last of Us Part Two and Ghost of Shima. Do they do they do remastered versions of those? It might be too early to do it at launch. Then you've got like Uncharted Four. Do they put the Uncharted games on there as a remaster? Is it kind of way to bridge people? Um, I kind of hope not because you did that for the three. If you turn around and remaster them again, or you did that for the four, if you remaster them again for the five, you're just looking desperate. I, that's kind of what I feel. It's like you're looking desperate. It's like, hey, we, we didn't plan this well enough to actually have an original IP or like a full-fledged sequel out. Yeah. Um, but then that, I, that falls th there, on... Like, I don't has, think they're going to have God of War ready just yet. No, there have been talks of another Crash Bandicoot game. But that's not going to be a Sony first-party game. That's yeah, no. So that's, I mean, I, that leaves Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, it leaves Gorilla or Insomniac. If it's not Horizon Zero Dawn, it's got to be a Ratchet and Clank game. I, I don't, or it's got to be a new IP. I mean, it very well could be a new IP, but I would say that Sony Santa Monica is fully deep in the next God of War, which I don't think we'll see just yet. Uh, obviously, Media Molecule released Dreams recently, so you're not going to see anything from them. New Guerrilla Games is working on Horizon Zero Dawn, and that was released in 2017, so we're going on three and a half years, almost four years since that was released. By the time the four comes out, or by by the time the five comes out, if if they announce that for a launch title, kudos to everybody for keeping that hush hush. Yeah, I don't think we'll see another Uncharted. Uh, no, because Naughty Dog having worked on—I mean, Naughty Dog's probably a pretty large studio, but having worked on and releasing the Last of Us Part Two, I'd say most of their um, talent and their assets went to that, and the efforts went to that. So we're not not likely, not likely going to see a Naughty Dog game at the launch of the five. Uh -huh. Unless it's a remake, a remaster of that, and I, it might be too soon. But I don't see how it could be anything but Horizon Zero Dawn Two. That would be about it, like you said. Unless there, unless like Insomniac rolls out a, well, no, it, Insomniac it, did Spider Man. They're probably doing Spider Man again, but they're that's true. They might probably do Spider Man too. To, to Insomniac, there was the North Carolina based one, and then the one in um, California. This will be interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I assume, like I said, I have not seen ever seen a video game console release without a big first-party studio release alongside it. I think that I uh, I don't want to say suicide, but that's awful. Like it, it screams, we've been planning and building this machine for years, but we never thought of a game to put with it. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it, I if it's not Rush and Clank, if it's not Horizon Zero Dawn 2, it's got to be a new IP. And like, a Supermassive Games, well, Sony doesn't own Supermassive Games, but obviously their support with Until Dawn was a huge um, like victory for them at the early life of the 4. But as far as, yeah, Sony Studios, I don't... Like, Gran Turismo? I don't... And I don't think Gran Turismo speaks to everybody, so I think that they would have to release something that had to have more yeah, you want worldwide appeal than Gran Turismo. Yeah. I don't know. It's either got to be a new IP, a Ratchet and Clank game, or Horizon Zero Dawn Two, and they've been very hush hush on Horizon Zero Dawn Two. We've talked about it some on recent episodes, but they've been very hush hush on that. Well, so. yeah. The only thing that we know is is that 
there it's another one's in the works. And that's about it. Maybe maybe soon is is after we release because we're in May. We're going towards the, ta- the the tail end of May. We're heading into June where we're going to see the, uh, the last part two July where uh, Ghost of Tsushima will release. Maybe we wait until after Ghost of Tsushima releases to talk about launch titles with five. It makes like sense. I said, it, they don't want to overshadow it as far as marketing goes. It makes sense. Probably like Labor Day weekend. Yeah, uh, listeners, if you have ideas for what the launch title might be, please uh, write to us. Uh, contact us however you can, whether it be Twitter or on our Facebook group. Generally, the Facebook group is probably the best way to do it. It uh, it fosters more discussion. And while we're talking about the Facebook group, we have a number of questions coming from Facebook. All right, so we have three questions here in our thread. Uh, Marcus writes, when's the Rocket League tournament? Now, I'm assuming that Marcus is referring to some Proven Gamer Run tournament, because as far as I know, and I know Homer posted in Trophy Horrors asking when the next Rocket League event was, uh, Homer, as far as we can tell, there's not one planned. Um, They did the Radical Summer last year, which encompassed all three months of summer. So I would be shocked if they didn't do that again, given how successful and how praised that was. But uh, as far as we know right now, there's there's nothing planned for Rocket League. And I, I even um, conferred with the Rocket League guru, Yield, because he usually Yield's the one who tells me when, when events are going on. Yeah. I, I... Um, as far as a, a tournament goes, Marcus, I don't think there's quite one planned. We always talk about wanting to play and getting together, but yes. uh, we, we need to get that together sometime. We should. Nothing Especially before it. Last of Us Part 2 releases and, and people kind of hole up and just kind of play single-player games for a bit. I'm all for it. Either solo or teams. And I call Alex. Yeah. Wait, do you think we should get Homer in on it? I mean, Homer's pretty good. We could. We could. We could do a three-on-three tournament. We could. We would just have to figure out the logistics of that. We would. You'd have to figure out times and everything. Yeah. All right, uh, Landon asks, After a few hours of straight trying to get and almost breaking my controller, I was able to get the Flat Master Trophy in Goat Simulator. My question is, what trophy can you remember that was so challenging for you, but you managed to get after numerous attempts? Oh, my goodness. And, uh, uh, Landon, I think, signs off as Unforgiving Sigh, or Unforgiving C. Yeah. I, I'm assuming that that would be his uh, PlayStation Network handle. Or maybe it is. Uh, Twitter. So... The one that comes right off the top of my head was Duke Nukem Forever. There was, a, I don't remember the name of the trophy, but uh, there was a part of the game where your ship crashes into the side of a building and you man the Gatling gun and you fight off the droves of alien ships coming at you. So on, you have to do it on the hardest difficulty. So on the hardest difficulty, you're trying to machine gun down these ships. And it is next to impossible, it felt like, to sit there and shoot them all without losing your health. And even when I read the uh, guide from PlayStationTrophies.org on what they suggested that you do, it's still probably took me another five or so tries trying their method before it finally worked. And I was like, hell yeah, suck it. But that was one where I was just like, throw your controller in the air and I I can't do it. I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, Tricky's answer would be the races in Ratchet and Clank. Yes. 
that I'll answer for Tricky on that one. Uh, as far as I go, uh, I know I've talked about a lot, a lot about Ratchet and Clank uh, Nitro Field, but the new Time Master Trophy, which has beat all of Nefarious Trophies uh, times in Time Trial Mode, and also there was a trophy that's called Is Everyone Here, which you get for unlocking all the original characters from, this, from CTR, the original game. Um, both of those are really hard uh, because um, the the new Time Master one you actually have to, you have to beat uh, Entropy in all of the time trials and for me doing that on like it was a slog getting to and getting through Oxide's time trial because Entropy and Oxide uh, they have their their times are very similar so to even unlock Entropy his time the right to race him you have to get incredibly close to his time. It's not like, some of them you can get within five seconds or something like that. This one you had to like almost be dead on. And I tried for the better part of a week, you know, hours and hours every day to beat Entropy, and I just couldn't do it because you have to hold Blue Fire, Blue Sacred Fire, through a large portion of the end of that track, and it's just snaky. It's super hard to do. It's super hard to control. Uh, eventually I did it, and it was just like, I was getting so frustrated, and eventually when I beat it, I just let out a sigh of relief, and I was like, finally, and I just like, I was sitting Indian style in front of my TV, and I just um, fell back and just fell on my back and just, like, breathed. Like, I just deep breathing because I'd finally done it. Um, so that is the most recent one, I would say, and the one that comes to mind first. Now, I by the time I was doing Oxide Time Trials, I had gained enough skill where I beat him the first time. Even though he was a couple seconds faster than Entropy, I beat him the first time on Oxide Station, so... It, uh, the new Time Pastor trophy was it for me, uh, but it trained me well to go and eventually beat um, Oxide and all, on all the time trials. Uh, another one I can think of, it, uh, it took a bit of doing, was the, um, there was a trophy for getting triple S ranks in all of the levels of um, Ninja Theory's Devil May Cry, which is really hard, Devil May Cry, fast, frenetic combat, really fun but really difficult, um, especially trying to get triple S rank on all the levels. So it, uh, that was another challenging one that it took me some bit of doing, but I finally did it and I'll have to look up the, uh, the name of that trophy. Okay. So the trophy I'm talking about is called jackpot. It is complete all missions on the Nephilim difficulty with an SSS rank. So triple S rank. Uh, and then there was also one where, uh, it was called and welcome to hell, complete all the missions on the hell difficulty on the hell and hell difficulty. Which I believe was. Let's see here. Sorry, I'm doing a lot of uh, research right now. Okay, so the Hell and Hell difficulty means you die in one single hit while enemies have the same amount of health as in Son of Sparta, which is four times the health they have on human difficulty. So if you take only a single hit, it'll avoid the S rank since you lose uh, the no hits and no uh, continuous damage. Wow, take a single hit? Yeah, you die in a single hit on Hell and Hell. Wow! Yeah, the D DMC had a ton of different, um, there was Heaven and Heaven, Heaven and Hell, Hell and Hell. There was a ton of different difficulties, but that one, having to beat the game on Hell and Hell difficulty, pretty hard. And of course, getting triple uh, S ranks on every um, chapter in Nephilim difficulty, like that was, that was also a bitch. And <laughs> beating Virgil in the, um, the DLC, uh, um, Dante's brother, was also fucking hard. So. I mean, I I'm sure when you did it, it was a great accomplishment, but I, wow, I don't know if I'd have had the patience. Yeah, I mean, the thing about it was, is I think I did chapter select, or you could take it by chapter, so, like, it wasn't like you had to do one long run, like, you had breathers in between, but still, a very hard game when it comes to combat, and you had to be stylish about it, and you had to be careful and duck and dodge. Duck and dodge, it sounds like 
the dodgeball movie. Uh, but you had to dodge and be very evasive, but yet also aggressive. It was, it was really hard. So yeah, uh, thank you, Landon, for the uh, the answers, and hopefully Tricky cleaned up all my uh, my research there and all the dead air. Uh, Andrew, for a final question, asked, do you feel like there will be a decline in popularity of open-world action RPG after Cyberpunk hits? Uh, Cyberpunk hits in September, so it comes out just before the launch of the Five, but also after uh, Ghost of Tsushima, which is another open-world action game with RPG elements. So uh, my answer, Andrew, my short answer is no. I think that action RPGs, open-world action RPGs, you know, which we saw with Horizon Zero Dawn, I think that is just kind of one of the new mainstays. I guess I shouldn't see new mainstays um, because it's been around for a while, but you look at it in uh, Breath of the Wild, which I would consider an open-world um, action RPG. There, it seems like this is just like one of the main genres of games that developers have decided to focus on because they know it sells. They they know that people can bury themselves in these games enough to where they're very enticing, but the, yet people can't finish them so quickly that it, they're going to, you know, just take them back and sell them to GameStop or something, that they will spend time and put effort into these kind of games. So I think the these kind of games are here to stay, and I think the evidence that Breath of the Wild was so popular, that Horizon Zero Dawn did so well and was reviewed so well, and the fact that Ghost of Tsushima and Cyberpunk are coming out this year, I, I think it's just kind of a sign that, uh, and the fact that they're putting, you know, open world, into, open world sections in, into some of the Uncharted games recently, I think that's just a sign of things to come that we'll see more of this in the future. Yield, sir? So I I don't think they'll go away anytime soon, but the success of Cyberpunk, I think, will will help sway that. Um, a lot of people are excited for it. Initially, there will be a lot of sales because of that excitement. But if it doesn't live up to its expectation, then I could see you know, people swaying away from that genre, possibly. If it's hugely popular, or a huge success, let me say that. If it's a huge success, then you're going to see more of it. Because, well, obviously, you know, Ghost of Tsushima, Cyberpunk, they both release relatively close. If they're both relatively successful, then you're going to be like, well, people still want it. So that's what we're going to give them. You know, I don't know if the if I would say that the success of Cyberpunk is going to have a huge impact on the genre of games that we're talking about. I think that it will obviously, if Cyberpunk is not good, or people don't don't like it, or there's a huge amount of bugs with it, that'll definitely hurt Cyberpunk and the developer and the publisher. But I don't necessarily think that it will have a huge impact on open world games, because even though... I have had my issues with open world games like Grand Theft Auto and stuff like that. I still have managed to play through and enjoy God of War. Um, while they're not the same game, there is something to be said about them both being huge open games with side missions and a main storyline to follow. So even me, who has kind of fallen off the wagon in the past after playing through like Infamous and saying, I just can't do this anymore, but then going back to some of the Batman Arkham games like Arkham City... I think it's a case-by-case basis and a game-by-game basis where Cyberpunk may, you know, people's view of Cyberpunk may hurt certain aspects of the industry, but more so, like, the viability of Cyberpunk as a series and confidence in a certain publisher. I don't think it's going to have an impact on open-world games because I think open-world games are what people are getting most immersed in these days. I don't know. How how would you respond to that, Yield? Uh, 
I don't. <laughs> I think, I think, well, I don't, I, I, yeah. I don't but know you're, how you're to You're still sticking to, to basically that you think that Cyberpunk will kind of be uh, a very important moment for um, the industry in, like going forward with this type of game. I think it can be. I, I, I still kind of think if it, if it falters, then maybe you won't see as many. I don't well, necessarily. Yes, why I don't why say, do you think that, that that this is the landmark game that will decide that? I don't know. I, I guess because there's a lot of buzz around it. Everyone seems to be really excited about it. Yeah, but is the buzz about it because of the the open world aspect of it, or because of the style of it and how it looks? Probably the style and how it looks. The eye candy, so to speak. Yeah. Right. So, so, so maybe, maybe my thoughts were completely irrelevant, but I know that's what got me was, ooh, it looks pretty, and the story seems to be really into it. That's why I'm excited for it. All right. Uh, well, basically, Andrew, I think that I would say that uh, you will see more, many more open world action P- RPGs in the future. Um, regardless of how Cyberpunk does, Yield obviously thinks that there might be some impact based on how Cyberpunk does, but we'll you know, we'll just have to see. But I, I think open world action RPGs are here to stay. Oh, Homer, uh, after last listening to last week's show, wanted to know: uh, Would replacing non-Sony uh, made hard drives into your PS5 void your warranties? I asked because I upgraded my storage on my PS4 with an external hard drive and have never replaced the original. Uh, uh, Joseph uh, responded with Mark Cerny talked about being able to use non-Sony hard drives in the PS5 so I'm going to assume it won't go the warranty uh, Tricky said some some loser named Michael Miller said it's a catch-22 using a non-Sony HD would not void the warranty but if you bought one that said overheated it they could claim that the user, you, caused the damage and they could choose not to cover it uh, Homer responded with, my point exactly, while it might be enticing to purchase a cheaper non-Sony upgrade, it could cost you more in the long run. Um, and I would say that if you're, uh, I would remind you that your warranty, your factory warranty on a console lasts for a year, and I, I would find it hard to believe that uh, you would take up all the space on a hard drive, especially with how big game hard drives are now, game console hard drives are, I would find it hard to believe that you would take up all that space within a year. So uh, just if you're going to replace the warrant or if you're going to replace the hard drive, uh, unless you absolutely need to wait till outside of a year because your warranty is void, void anyway. Yield, sir, you got anything to add to that? Nope. I mean, I, I, I changed out my hard drive because I knew that I would exceed it. And I still ended up exceeding my one terabyte. Um, I'm going to wait and see for the new system about that solid state hard drive, how that works, if it's, you know, if you can plug and play, so to speak, with hard drives, but... Yeah, the Seagate hard drive that comes with that uh, Last of Us Part 2 PlayStation 4 Pro, uh, PlayStation 4 Pro bundle, is it's a Seagate, so it's not Sony proprietary, uh, but it is also an external hard drive, so it's not internal. But that's what I put in mine, was a Seagate one. I took out the 500 megabyte and put in a one terabyte and that uh the seagate one's gonna be a two terabyte so uh as we've talked about before and as as most techies know uh space as far as like digital space goes you know hard drives and whatever is become becomes cheaper as you know as we move on so 
you could buy a terabyte or two terabyte hard drives for what would have been a mint uh, a while ago, but is now much cheaper because oh yeah, you we're can just buy... creating you know these these smaller and smaller things with more and more space. So I think that um, Sony will have plenty of internal storage built into the PlayStation Five, um, where you're not going to have to worry about switching it out for a while. Oh yeah, or or they'll cont- or they'll probably carry on the ability to have an external. Because I kicked around the idea of of buying what was what I see a few months ago. I think it was like a five terabyte you could get for a hundred bucks, which is what I paid for my two terabyte one when I bought my four. So, well, yield. That is going to be the end of our questions. And man, we have got a uh, banger of an episode here for tricky to. Uh, to edit, we've gone almost an hour and twenty minutes with just you and I. Holy cow! Couple you know, blabbermouths here. You know what? I, I I think it's time that we end the show. I think it's time we clean this shit up. Um, yes. Hey everybody, it's that time of the show. You know it, where we clean this shit up. Now we love interacting with you all, but we want to let you all know how you can interact interact with us. You can go to Facebook and check out our Facebook page. You can also go to Twitch. We're on Twitch. Twitch.tv forward slash Proving Gamer. If email is your thing, trophyhors at ProvingGamer.com is the address. Or you can even call us and leave a message on our phone number, 330-PROVEN9. That's 330-776-8369. If you like what we do here on Trophy Horrors, there are other podcasts on the Proving Gamer Podcast Network. Those are PG Spoilers and Game Stuff. Now, where can you find all of these lovely podcasts? Apple Podcast, which is formerly iTunes Podcast, Stitcher, various podcast apps, Google Play, and you can find Trophy Horrors and Game Stuff on Pandora, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Now, before we leave you all for the evening, we got to share our lovely sponsor with you all. Amazon.com, the world's largest retailer, world's largest online retailer, where shopping is simple from your couch and you don't even have to leave your house. But before you go to Amazon.com, go to ProvingGamer.com first. We have a link to Amazon on our front page. Hit the link. It'll take you exactly to where you want to go to your shopping experience. It's not a huge step, and it definitely helps out the website a ton. So please take that extra step for us. We would greatly appreciate it. If you want to support us on Patreon, we have a page. It's Patreon.com forward slash ProvingGamer. And even if you can't support us with money, we would gladly have your marketing, your word of mouth, your recommendations. If you would recommend us to a friend, a family, a coworker, a neighbor, we would greatly appreciate it. Best marketing we can ask for. And last but not least, we are proud to be a partner with the Humble Bundle. HumbleBundle.com is a charity initiative that every week bundles together digital media in tiered bundles. These tiered bundles, you get to name your own price, but it's not quite as easy as that because because they are tiered. You, the more you put in, the more of the content you'll get. Now, of course, it being charity, the more money you can give, the better. But the bundles are typically a very great value, so the more money you put in, it's a win-win situation. That is going to wrap it up for this part of the housekeeping, but that is also going to bring us to the greatest part of the show, shout-outs. So, yeah, so let's go ahead and do some shout-outs. Yield, sir, how about you share with us who you'd like to put in the spotlight? So, as always, shout out to you, the pimps and the mouths and the whoredom, sending in questions, interacting us, interact, acting us, interacting with us. We're the video game yield. We yes. are the ghosts. We. With all of our social medias, 
in the PlayStation communities and on the PlayStations and everywhere. Thank you, all of you. Shout out to Alex for hosting this week and showing up to record. Shout out to Tricky. Hope your headache goes away. And a shout out to warmer weather. Winter, I think, has finally left. Indeed. Yeah, it was in the 80s here. Of course, it's, it's hit the 80s here before, but it was it was pretty hot out here today. It is. I like it. All right, and I would like to give a shout-out to the fans, the fuel to the fire that is Trophy Horse. Thank you all for listening every week, for spending some time with us. Your support helps push the show to even greater heights. Would not be a thing without you. So, again, thank you very much for your continued support. Give a shout-out to... Yield, as well as Tricky, who could not be here tonight. Like I said, he's not feeling very well. Um, so definitely want to give a big shout-out to Tricky, uh, and hopefully he is convalescing and healing up. Night of rest will do you quite a bit of good. Uh, give a shout-out also to Sid's family, who welcomed a new child to the fold, Callum. Uh, so we definitely want to give a big shout-out to Sid. Uh, guy who earns a shit ton of trophies, does does his platinums, a pro video gamer, but uh, also a pretty fucking awesome dad. So congratulations to Mandy and Sid on the newest addition to their family. And last but not least, give a shout out to my lovely girlfriend, Ashley. Uh, just an amazing partner, and I've, I've enjoyed sharing an island with her on Animal Crossing, building up, getting our villagers, recruiting our villagers, and building up the island to making it this paradise, this Caspian paradise that everyone can live on and enjoy. Um, so give a shout-out to my awesome girlfriend, Ashley, for not only, you know, accepting my quirks of video games, but also joining in on those and helping me build these worlds within video games. And, honey, I, I love you, and I can't wait to see as you dive even deeper into Tales from Borderlands. Such an awesome game. That is going to be the end of this week's episode, episode 434. Thank you for all for listening, and until next week, happy trophy hunt. Later. The theme song is Venus by the band Even off their album Zenith. Permission granted by the band and 12 Stone Records. You can find them on Facebook by going to www.facebook.com slash evenphilippines. <laughs> <laughs>